0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Thoughts from the Word, a podcast where I talk about what God is teaching me through the Bible. And this week is the last of four weeks that we are spending in John 17, which is referred to as the High Priestly Prayer. And before we even talk about what we're going to be talking about this week, I want to take just a brief moment and recap where we have been through the first three weeks Of this short um, series. This first week, we talked about this broad concept of prayer and why we don't trust who we pray to. And through the first uh, five verses of John 17, we saw that God gives Christ the authority to save us from sin. And the second week, we took a few more verses and we we said that we were broadly ta- um, naming that passage about care, this idea of care, and how um, it's emphasized in those next few verses. And we came away with this idea that Christ cares for those who constantly trust in Him. And last week, if you if you listen to that podcast, we we talked about this great emotion and feeling of joy, and through um, that. Next passage, we saw that godly joy requires abiding in his word. And before we talk about this last section of the high priestly prayer, I want to want to ask a question. Before we ask that question, I want to outline, kind of want to preface what this next section of the prayer is. And so from these first three movements that we saw, like, why we can trust Jesus in prayer, to how he cares for us, to how we find godly joy. Christ was praying for his present context of, of followers and us today. But in this next section, verses 20 through 26, he kind of focuses on the big picture. He doesn't focus on the present context of where he was. He's he's praying for the big C corporate church. Like, not just the church that you attend, or not just like a specific local church, but the broad concept of the big C church. And it's actually the church that Christ is the head of the chief shepherd who is over Bible believing Christians and the question that I want to ask at the beginning of this short time that we have together is why why does Jesus play pray for all believers and I think through this text we can actually see the answer to that um, so Before we begin, I'm going to read John 17, verses 20 through 26. And then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive right into the scripture. The last few verses of John 17, right before Jesus was betrayed. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that may, may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for this example of prayer and the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays before he's betrayed And Father, thank you that you didn't just pray for the people that were around you just most intimately, but you prayed for the corporate church, all believers. And Lord, as we look through, we we ask this question of why Jesus has done this. Um, I pray that you would just be glorified in it. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to record and to to study your word and practice this idea of interpreting it and communicating it. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in it and the ears that hear it would be encouraged. Um, Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's reread verse 20 and see why Jesus prays for all believers and start to unpack what that means. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their Word, Like, Jesus had a present context to people that were under his care, the 12 disciples and the people that were constantly following him. But he knew that there were more people to come like you and me 2,000 years later. And this specific language of their word could be referred to as a testimony. And the past few days, I've been able to share my testimony. And it's been so encouraging just to reminisce and remember what God has done in my life. And briefly, I want to just put my heart on, on display and tell you how I was saved. I and grew up highly re, re, religious and totally lost. I grew up in a, in a church background and just wanted to seek approval from anything that I could. I I sought it from, from popularity, I sought it from my parents, I sought it from my peers, I sought it from my athletic performance, music performance, anything that I could, and it left me empty. I was a kid that went to church on Sunday every morning, was active in youth group every Wednesday, and I was totally lost, depressed, sad, and hopeless. I went to community college and Tried to get through my first semester on my own strength and, and couldn't. And, and I fell flat on my face second semester. Lost some drugs, alcohol, sexual sin. You name it, I did it. Fast forward a little bit more. That summer after my freshman year, there was just brokenness over that summer. And I was just um, hoping for more things, like just women in general and and thinking that I can fill a gap in my heart with just pleasure, and I couldn't. And the sophomore, my sophomore year was just filled with indifference and that continual struggle. And I eventually graduated, had a circumstance happen over the summer, and I was just angry at God that He would not keep me from sin. And... I transferred to colleges, and I had a couple um, Bible-believing Christians on my cross-country team, and they invited me to this thing called Salt Company, and I, I completely disregarded it. I, I was coming in and out of community, and all the while partying, trying to find whole things to fill this God-sized hole in my heart. And I remember after a heavy night of drinking, I woke up the next day. It was about ten fifteen on a Sunday morning, and that was when church would start back home for me. And I just said, I need Jesus. And a couple weeks later, at a fall retreat, um, the speaker on a Saturday night, we walked in about halfway through um, because we had just gotten home um, from a cross-country meet. And the speaker was talking about humility, and that's all I remember about that message. But I remember sitting in the pew of that um, camp auditorium, and I remember just thinking about how selfish I was. And everything was focused on me. And while we were worshiping, just screaming out, sobbing out song lyrics about who God is, even songs that I've sang saying before, like leading worship, and it fully convicted me and I laid my life down at Jesus' feet that day. I'll never forget it. October 14, 2017. And since then, it's been a continual process of sanctification. I, I didn't flip a switch, but but God changed me. And as we're able to share our stories, like what God has transformed my life from and now what it is now, like, we'll see more like, people come in to the local body of believers that we are a part of, and we'll see God's name glorified. And before we read um, verse 21, I want to talk about um, unifying forces. Just for a moment. And and Christ here is praying for the big C corporate church, but actually what he's really trying to instill in us is this idea of unity. And I want to talk about three ideas of unity in a secular sense. I want to talk about first this broad concept of freedom. First of all, American freedom. like We live in a country that used to be under um, just rule from Great Britain and we, we broke off, we fought for our freedom, and that's something that we are proud of, and we, like, have. And it's so beautiful. It brought unity from a whole country to break away from this greedy power. And the second idea of freedom that I actually want to bring up inside of unifying forces is, is slavery. Like, America like was built on the backs of slaves and we, we like lament that and it's like very obvious that we still have work to do in this area by the current cultural climate that we find ourselves in but we saw when when slavery was abolished we saw a unity in the government and when the civil rights movement happened we saw um, unity in society and even now like we see unity for just justice for the, for the unjust killings of, of black people. And the second unifying force that I want to talk about kind of comes out of that, like political movements. If you share certain ideologies, whether you're far left or far right, those things are unifying. And we want to, as Christians, we want to be based in God's word, but we can't like ignore the fact that political movements, when you share similar ideologies with people, are unifying. And like the last thing of like unifying forces, I want to talk about are just fan bases in general. Whether it's a sports team or uh, an actress or actor or some sort of performing artists, like when you have a fan base, those people are all united in supporting. That thing. like Unlike these finite concepts of unity, the biggest source of unity that we see as Christians comes in the next verse of this prayer. Would you read verse 21 with me? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may... Also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Like, God and Jesus have this oneness in them that like promotes this idea of unity. Like, in one of the epistles that Paul wrote, uh, this letter to the church in Philippi, I want to take a moment to read chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And this is Paul just encouraging the Philippians in their faith and talking about the example of what Christ has done for us. Paul says this in Philippians 2. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And this passage in Philippians 2 is a beautiful truth to hold on to as we hope, hold on to and hope in as we know we are being prayed for as a big C church. Like, God's word can be trusted and the atoning work of Christ on the cross can be trusted. Continue to read verse 21 of John 17 with me. It says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I want... To talk about this idea of being sent. As we hold on to this idea of God and Christ having unity, we must also understand that we are sent just as Christ was sent. And I want to talk about what it means to be sent for just a moment. In the Greek, this word that's translated as sent in the ESV um, can also be translated to be sent out, so sending People out, not just sending them in. And this is highlighted in what Christ says before he ascends to be with the Father. Like after Jesus beat death and conquered death, He He gave us a mission. And He said, And go out into all the world and make disciples of every Tongue nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus also says that he'll be with us till the end of the age. And that's such a beautiful truth to hold on to. And as we continue to sift through this final stanza of prayer, let's just sit and soak in it and see what Jesus has for us. Read verses 22 and 23 with me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Like, God grants Christ all the glory he needs to fulfill the mission of the cross. And Jesus in this prayer is making supplication that we would be also given the authority to fulfill his mission as we are discussing this earlier as the Great Commission. Um, but later in these verses, Jesus interjects this idea of Christian unity. In verse 23, specifically, it reads: I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world May know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. And while churches of all denominations and just ideas have differences, if they align on the kingship of Jesus, the Holy Scriptures, and salvation by grace through faith, we must pursue this idea of unity with other Christians. And all of this, this idea of pursuing godly unity with other believers, it's supposed to be in this idea of love. And exemplifying this idea of Christian unity in love gets God a tremendous amount of glory and fame as we fulfill the Great Commission we continue to sift through and to read this last portion of this prayer, would you just examine your heart and see what God is trying to tell you through this passage. Verse 24 says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given to me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Like, Jesus desires, or he wants us, like, he desires and wants us to fellowship and to communicate with him. And there are two different ways we can do that. Firstly, we can do that, like, we can communicate and fellowship with God by his word. Like, last week, we talked about how how godly joy requires abiding in the Bible. And we do that by just daily reading and daily filling ourselves up with this idea that God's word can be trusted. And the second thing that we can do is we can communicate with Jesus through prayer. Like the first week that we talked about, like why that we don't pray big prayers is that we don't trust Christ all the way. And we saw that like, we can trust Christ because God gives him the authority to save us like from sin. And he did that for us on the cross. It reminds me of this verse in Colossians. Uh, Paul's writing another letter to the church, a different church in Colossae. And specifically chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 say this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Like this idea that Colossians 2, 6 through 7 is trying to get at is that we need to be firmly planted in who Christ is. Like the words in him, like or referring to Christ. It's used multiple times. Like it's used three times in this in those two verses. Like Paul's trying to communicate something to this church in Colossae that we need to be so rooted in Christ that we cannot be pulled up out. Of who he is, and to look about, look back at this verse, um, verse twenty four um, in John seventeen. Um, we can see this, that Jesus again makes a call to unity, and as we saw as the first week of this like series in the High Priestly Prayer, we said that we can trust Christ in prayer, and also just every broad concept of things that we can like look to. Because God has given him the authority to save us from sin. I want to talk about the time uh, when I did something so stupid. Um, when I was very, very young, um, I decided that it would be a good idea while well, my little brother and I were practicing our golf game, um, would be to um, walk behind my little brother and just stand there and not do anything? Um, and my brother, unknowingly, of course, like reared back to swing the golf club and smacked me straight in the face, like right above my right eyebrow. And I don't even know if I, like, recognized in that moment the weight of what happened. Um, I just fell, and I walked over to my mom, who was outside at the time. And um, we were young, so it wasn't just me being stupid now. It was just my childlikeness. Um, but my mom saw me and saw that I was just gushing blood. She she looked at me and she like, Gabe, you're bleeding. And just started holding the blood in her hands and caring for me and like calming me down and she eventually took me took me to the ER and we got myself fixed up, um, but in all of those actions, my mom showed me so much love and love that I probably didn't deserve because of what a stupid thing I did to stand behind my brother and get hit in the face with the golf club, um, but unlike this example of what like, love my mom had shown me, Christ, like, finishes this high priestly prayer um, with a just beautiful few sentences. Um, We need to um, read verses 25 and 26. They say this, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I've been, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Like in these first few words, Jesus says, O oh, righteous Father, and he ascribes in God glory right before he is going to be betrayed by Judas. Like what a humble attitude he has towards his mission, which is dying mind you. Like I can't relate to this humble estate that that Christ shows so beautifully here. Like I have this sin of pride in me. Like I can't like be humble to a point of where whatever circumstance I I treat with the utmost godliness and perfect submission to Jesus. But as we can see in this text, Christ has made known God's name and will do so until he returns as a conquering king. And I'm going to read verse 26 again just to drive that point home but also kind of transition and talking to um, this different idea about love. Um, Verse 26 says, I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Um, Would you read um, another different Pauline epistle, um, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read it in its entirety. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. By prophetic powers understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind. It's not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not insistent in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It's not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and then endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, it will pass away. As for tongues, it will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even as I will be fully know. So now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But the greatest of these is love. This idea that 1 Corinthians 13 is, is driving home is sacrificial love best form of sacrificial love is what Christ did on the cross. He had unity with God and saw Israel like sin and rebel for for years. And God was like, now is your time. He was sent a humble servant as a child and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that we deserve on the cross for our sin. But he is coming back. And that's a beautiful truth to hold on to. Now, what do these verses mean for us? I think I know that we start our time of question and we just asked this idea of why does Christ pray for all believers to have this unity? And Christ prays for us because we need to be sent out. And as we have walked through this high priestly prayer, we have talked about why we can pray to Christ and how we can be trusted and how he cares for us as we constantly trust in him. And we, last week we talked about what joy comes from. And these things are not just for us to, to feel good and to feel all warm and fuzzy and to say, oh yeah, Jesus, like, thank you for making me feel good. No, it's for us to be sent out to give good to give the good news of the gospel to everyone. And I think. There are two camps. I mean, there are people that, who are in Christ and people who are, who are not are skeptics. And I want to talk to the people who are in the family of God, who Christ was praying for to have this unity among themselves. And, and believer, I want you to make every effort to live as Christ. And that means being humble. That means sacrificially loving people. Like that's living out your faith practically so people would ask about the hope that you have. And you can you can tell other people about what Christ has done for you. And, and and a witness to people who don't yet know. Non-believers. people who who are skeptics or who are searching or don't fully trust who God is. Thank you so much for making it this far. I think it's so admirable that you're even considering these things and thinking about them but I would give you just a simple ask and just give your life over to King Jesus have a testimony be able to proclaim that you have been brought from death to life and your life will be forever changed it won't be perfect it will actually be hard but in eternity, when we have unity with God again, it will be so, so worth it. Guys, thank for thank you so much for for listening to this episode of Thoughts from the Word. Thank you for journeying journeying through with me of the high priestly prayer. I hope it was encouraged an encouraging time for you. Um, next week. Um, we're going to start another four week study through the book of Jonah. And I'm so excited to go through it. Uh, excited to continue to practice the idea of communicating God's word to God's people. So, with that, guys, thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your day.